Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 274th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser, and you can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. We have a quartet tonight. It is crew back together, looking forward to a diversity of perspectives on your Seattle Seahawks. And now is the perfect time. If you folks haven't already done it, Join patreon.com slash hawkblogger. We're getting a bunch of new folks joining the community. It's growing. The Slack channel, you get immediate access, tons of fun conversations, good insights happening there, not just from the crew, but also from all the people in the community. So it's a really, really great spot. Patreon.com slash hawkblogger. And we gave away tickets to the game this past weekend. Uh, Whitney took her mom. First time she'd been to a game for the Seahawks since the kingdom era and what a game to go to. So uh, great time to join and proceeds go to charity over $260,000 that we have donated over the years. You can now be part of it. All right, let's bring in the crew. I am like pumped. I'm so pumped that I'm wearing my new, I don't know if you guys have probably seen these, but these are the season ticket holder gift this year. Um, actually personalized with when you've been a season ticket holder since, which is a little annoying because actually I've been a season ticket holder since 1997 when I moved here, but, uh, there was some lapse during the Husky stadium year. And so they screwed me on that, but anyway, that's okay. It's still a cool, cool gift. Um, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. I feel like it's been a little while, Dana. How's, how's life? Good. I think it has been a couple of weeks. I let it be the boys club for a while. No, it's been good. It's been um, busy. This is my fourth podcast this week. I'm a little tired, but I, you know, it's just, there's a lot of fun things to talk about right now. League wide, not just with Seattle, but there's just a lot going on league wide. As long as you don't say the words, Kelsey and Swift, everything is great. <laughs> my God, I forgot you're in Kansas City. That oh, Lord, like you have no more idea. More of a story there. Oh, yeah. They shut down roads, for God's sake. I mean, it's just chaos here. And now the rumor is, is that she's going to New York. So now New York can deal with it. It's just, it's a mess. I, I, the, the crazy thing, and I love, I don't know, you guys don't watch TikTok probably. I watch TikTok I a little bit and all the, the, the meme, one of the memes going on right now is wives telling their husbands and, and, and recording it like, 
uh, yeah, Taylor Swift's really going to make Travis Kelsey's career. Like she's going to make him a name, a household name. And the husband's just being like, are you serious? Like you, you're joking. And, and it's funny, but like, to some extent, uh, I think this is probably a bigger story worldwide than anything going on in the NFL and probably anything that will go on in the NFL this year. So like, it's true. The funny thing is that, like the stats that are coming out from us, like his Jersey sales went up 400% in two days. And, and the, the tickets, like they sold more jets tickets in like four hours than they had like in the last three weeks and like all these crazy things. But the fun part of it is, and I said on the Our Trip Football podcast to Lisa, who's a Miami fan, I said, hey, how'd you feel about Taylor Swift completely upstaging your 70 points this week? She's like, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I saw a really funny comment uh, that Taylor Swift was going to sing like their breakup song at the Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show in like five or six years or whatever. <laughs> or this year. Who knows? Or this year. <laughs> well, it was just announced. Somebody who, 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 it was just announced this year. It's like Usher oh, or something. Usher. Yeah. Is that like the most uninspiring no, halftime guest ever? Usher. Isn't Usher kind of like nostalgic though? Yeah. Like, he is now. I don't know. I think he's, I think he's, meh. Like not, not, I mean, you're talking like, there's been like Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, like Prince. even like Beyonce, like a pregnant, uh, um, who was last year? Rihanna. Rihanna, Rihanna pregnant Rihanna. Like, I, I don't think that, I don't think he's in that category, but you heard Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB. Evan I heard that you were invaded by a Canadian recently, but managed to uh, like not not occupy the same space. Is this true? Yeah, Jeff and I, we had a very tight window to see each other. And unfortunately, the overlap just did not work. I had a massive flight delay coming back from Munich. And I know Jeff was uh, parting his ass off in, in Scottsdale. So you, you have to tell us a little bit. Give us a, a few seconds on Oktoberfest, man. Like, oh, looks, my God. So Oktoberfest, if you ever have the opportunity to go in Munich, is genuinely one of the the most fun experiences I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Like The way I described it is I've never seen so much joy. And yes, much of that joy is sparked by drunkenness. But like I've never seen so much joy compounded in such a tight space. And it's just... I the one of the rules with Oktoberfest, and I don't know if you guys know this, but like you're allowed to stand on the benches of the tables. It's like, uh, it's like, um, uh, it's like benches and like normal tables you see at like a at like a playground or something. And if you stand on the table, you have to chug your beer. And if you don't chug your beer, security makes a dart for you and kicks you out. No, dead serious. <laughs> The amount of people that I saw that got up on the table and did not finish their beer, you get kicked out of the tent. And I don't know if you can like come back into that tent. I don't know if you can enter other tents at a different time. All I know is security kicks your ass out immediately. Did you so, discover this by observing other people or did it happen to you? I, 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 so those, their steins are like, it's like three beers, like, American beers in one of them. I do not have those chugging abilities. Yeah. So there's a 0% chance I would ever do that. But, you know, whenever somebody does it, it's like this room of like several thousand people turns to that one person and cheers them on. And if they fail, you know, they boo the shit out of them. <laughs> and it's just, it's so fun. Oktoberfest yeah. is a blast. I highly recommend it. Um, 
yeah, if you have the chance to go, definitely go. So that sounds fantastic. Uh, all right, Jeff at Real Jeff Simmons, who did not go to Munich for Oktoberfest, but did go to Phoenix to enjoy the desert and it's all that it offers. Uh, sounds like you had a fun time down there, yeah? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, if anyone is going to Phoenix or Scottsdale and needs uh, like a tour of the city or talk to Evan, Evan was Evan gave me a few tips. Like places to go, places I should go, places I shouldn't go. And he he nailed it. Like we had a great time. There was a group of eight of us and like the bars there are a lot of fun. The weather there was perfect. Uh, anytime you guys bash Evan for Scottsdale, I think I got to back him now. I see the in and out cup right there. Uh, I was at in and out, <laughs> but me and Evan did try to connect. And like, I was at a day pool party the day before and I went golfing the next morning, like an idiot. And by the time, that Seahawks first half was so painful. Like I had nothing. Left. I basically, I couldn't sit through the game. We were like, we need to go to bed. So I like barely, I had to rewatch the second half of the game. Like I was bare. I remember I posted in the group and Derek was like, what? You're like half dead. What are you talking about? So <laughs> that's why I had a great time. It was awesome. You can, if you go with like a group of people, like the Airbnbs and the household rentals, like we're out of this world. It, it was a really fun weekend. Like everyone I've been talking to is just like, we want to go back there. Right. So you stayed in yeah. a really nice area, by the way. I did not realize where you stayed. You stayed in yeah, a super bougie. It's called Arcadia. It's one yeah. of the most expensive neighborhoods in Phoenix. Reason being, they they say it doesn't look like Arizona because it was one of the first developed communities in Arizona. And oh, the cool. trees are like super ma- – it's like you step one street over and it looks like Washington State because it's had like 100 years to grow instead of everything else being like 50 years. So you, you, you looked like you had fun. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I'm coming back in a few months, buddy. Well, we've all been traveling. I was down in Portland getting uh, my oldest uh, Isaac into his first apartment. Uh, and anyone who's listening to the show from Portland had a great time. I used to live down there growing up and man, the food there's so good. It has gotten so good. So anyway, I know people are like, can we talk about football? Like what's going on? I, I, I folks, just so you know, we get to we get to kind of connect on this. We actually like each other and want to know about each other. So we're going to talk to each other, and you're welcome to join in. We're happy to know what's going on with you. Feel free to share and chat. All that's good stuff. We're a community here, so let's let's uh, let's care about each other, not just football. But uh, this game, folks, I feel like this game gave some people life. And and let me, I, I want to go back to you, Jeff, first because. Uh, you started talking about the first half. This is a game against a really shitty team that was playing a backup quarterback who, you know, has somehow against nature has gotten, his hair has gotten more red as he's gotten older. I don't understand. I have a redhead in my house and it doesn't work that way usually. And Adam Thielen, who's 75 and they tore us to shreds and they score 27 points and they put up a bunch of yards and they were ahead at halftime. And yet you look at this game and it's like, well, Gino comes out looking pretty good. Devin Witherspoon comes out looking pretty good. Boye Mafia looked pretty good. Jaron Reed looks pretty good. Like Julian Love had his best game. The offensive line managed to correct some things. Zach Charbonnet has like, there's a lot of pretty positive storylines for beating a shitty team 37-27. So I'm kind of curious, like, how, how are you feeling coming out of that game about your Seahawks? 
Uh, it was a tale of two very, very different halves. The first half felt a lot like what we saw in the first half of the Rams game. And it was really frustrating. They had multiple chances. All they could commute was field goals. Their third down defense was atrocious. And that brought back, and Gio didn't play particularly impressive. There was a bad interception. He forced the ball to lock it. They just didn't seem very cohesive. And then in the second half, so much of what we had talked about in the, after that Rams game where like all their offseason decisions looked awful. This was the exact opposite where Jaron Reed and Mario Edwards had 90 PFF grades and the running back combo of Walker and Charbonnet with four backup offensive linemen like that they dominated on the ground. And Gino, like they started using play action. They started using the tight end group a lot more. And the offense who didn't have a particularly great game, they – Basically, they looked dominant. They were scoring, and Kenneth Walker looks looked fantastic. So I, you come out of that game feeling pretty good because you see a lot of the thing. And Devin Witherspoon looked awesome. Like, he looked like an all-pro level player in that game. Just his ability to read and react. And the crazy part for him is this is him without any preseason, basically, and mm-hmm. no camp. Like, if he's doing this without any camp, it's pretty, pretty exciting. And like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around Jaron Reed. Like, that was, as Pete said, that was the best game he's probably ever played. And it just seemed like such an uninspired offseason signing. And a lot of the things they did. And then, like, in the first half, Stone Forsythe was just getting crushed by Justin Houston. And the fact that they had four O-linemen out at one point, I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those games. So, yeah, Andy Dalton, I'm still, like, I feel like basically everything I thought in the preseason, Brian, of like what I thought this team was going to be that game in the second half was it. So that's where I come out feeling pretty good. Like I thought they were going to be an explosive offense. I thought, I thought they'd be able to use three receivers a little more, but because of the old line injuries, the tight end group is their best package right now. So I thought they'd be like a dominant offense with some players that flashed on defense, but overall defense isn't good enough. So that's the kind of game in the second half I thought we'd see this year. So I'm sort of back to where I started with this team. Like, I think they're ascending. I think they have a lot of fun players, but there's still some pretty big holes. Yeah, I mean, Evan, and Dan, I'm going to come to you with this as well. This is a top five offense. Yeah. It's wild to me. It's a top five offense. They are 28th in the league in third downs. They are atrocious on third downs. Like, if they figure out third downs, this is a different team. And, oh, by the way, as I think you know, if your boy Jason Myers could just make two of his, his field goals, this would be the number two scoring team in the entire NFL. Like, and I, I feel like Miami's in its other another league. They're almost not in the NFL. Like they're in some kind of alien league. Um, but like it's crazy. It feels like this offense is not close to hitting on all cylinders, and yet they're a top five offense. JSN hasn't even got going yet. So I, you know. How are you thinking about, like, knowing that the team's kind of getting a little healthier, they're getting some guys back? Um, where are you on this? Yeah, um, I have an aggressively optimistic take on this. This is like the most excited I've been about a Seahawks team since like 2017. Why? Honestly, what? What? This Tell was. The, this was. So. I'm so used to Pete Carroll football teams like starting off really slow and then getting it together in the second half of a football season. They've they've got their act together early on. 
this offense is producing numbers at a top five level with multiple key contributors down across the offensive line. Let's not forget that both tackles are out, which is which would normally hamstring literally any offense in the NFL, except for, you know, maybe the Chiefs or the Bengals or something like that, or or, or the Dolphins. Um, what Geno's, you know, producing, you know, with the injuries they've had across the offensive line, it's just, it's just incredible. Um, but for me, I, I was, I've been thinking about this game, like a lot, this Panthers game a lot over the past several days. And there's just been so many instances guys over the past, like four to five years where a Pete Carroll Seahawks team would lose that game to a backup quarterback. There are so many games where we have played down to an opponent and lost to a far worse roster over the past several years. You know, first half was a little sketchy, but second half, they pulled away, and this team's talent literally just willed them towards a win in a very raw, brunt force, like brute force fashion. And it was really encouraging to watch. I I, I don't know if this is making any sense in my out, you know, outside of my brain. It is. But it was it was just it was just nice to watch my favorite football team, which was clearly the more talented football team in this matchup, just drag this team to a win. They were going to win. It was inevitable. And this is a game, like, I seriously, I think I tweeted about this. This is a game that the 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, probably, t- definitely 2022 Seahawks teams lose to. Well, and yeah, finish it, your thought. Sorry. It just, it just, this is, this could be a very legit team. Like I, I'm, I'm talking myself into like fucking Super Bowl contender. What? Type of, I, I'm talking what? myself. This is the most excited I've been about a football team in a long fucking time for the Seahawks. What? I, I have to go a little deeper, Dan. I'm going to come to you. I know it's been a little while, but, but I, I have to go a little farther here. So. So like, give me a little bit more about why, like what, like maybe it's a player, maybe like beating, beating uh, Andy Dalton is not the reason. Like there's something else. Sure. I mean, I think the defense, I'm like pretty encouraged on the trajectory that the defense is on. Um, The run defense is, is very solid. Um, Not an issue so far at all. Jaron Reed, like Jeff's Jeff mentioned his is playing out of his mind. And I hate Jaron oh, Reed. Wait, say that again. <laughs> I hate Jaron Reed. So like at, through three games, I'm like, I can't really say much. Um, I'm not fully ready to admit it, but he, he's playing out of his mind three games through. And it, they, they set some like, you know, uh, like pressure record this past Sunday. They had the um, most 36 pressures was the most pressures of any defense in football. This again. Week. And again, I know it's the Panthers, but like, the fact that we have Jamal Adams coming through in reinforcements, we've had Trey Brown injured. We've had Tariq who hasn't, who didn't play. Like there's just a lot of like, like they're down so many key contributors and yet they're producing at such a high level. I think they're going to positively like, I don't know if regress is the right word, but positively like, like they, they don't have that many explosive plays that they've produced on offense Mm -hmm. either. And, and it, that feels like a little just unlucky and fluky. And I just, I think like how they're performing right now, the trajectory is going to get better. It's going to yeah. positively regress defensively <clears throat> and offensively. So this team could go on a legit winning streak here, I think. 
And to add to what Evan said, sort of cut you off, but I know you mentioned Andy Dalton. The Panthers' defense is pretty good. And if the Lions' defense shut down Kansas City week one, they allowed six points to Atlanta last week, who's been pretty solid. So I'll drop 37 on that. So I know it's Andy Dalton, but going into this week, we all would have said Carolina's got a pretty good defense. And Seattle, even after that bullshit pass interference that call that screwed up that one drive and made the game close, like to see Seattle just come back and stomp them out with two straight touchdowns, that was pretty awesome. Dana, what do you make of all this positivity? I, I, are you going to have to like be the negative one today just to balance things out? I, I think I just need to leave because it's just too much <laughs> in one room. It's like too much in one space. I don't know what to do with it. I think, though, I hate, I'm not going to be the negative one, but I do think we need to temper it just a little bit. There are still a lot of issues that, you know, that this team has. And, and you guys have actually mentioned all of them, um, in, in, but the positives are outweighing. And I think the positives are outweighing what's going on for a couple of reasons. Number one, we were a little scarred after week one. We had, we were excited about this team. And then week one happened and we were like, we got duped again, right? Like we thought for sure that we had gotten duped again. Come to find out we hadn't. It was just a week one divisional game, right? That's not surprising. So now, again, Evan has said it. I agree. You're back. We're all back in kind of that positivity. We like where this team is going. We like what they're what they are doing. The explosive place is an issue. There seems to be, they, they seem to be really focusing on shutting down DK, you know, the, the other teams are, they're focused on JSN. Um, Tyler had some good, um, you know, receptions, but what that does then is open the door for Kenneth Walker and they are taking advantage of that. And he has played beautifully. I think that that um, they just need to figure out that balance a little bit. And again, it's only been three weeks. I always say, and I say this till, you know, ad nauseum, you don't know who a team is until week four to six. And so really, I think that that's what we're going to see kind of develop. What's nice is we're not having to develop everything, right? Like we've started out some seasons where you literally are like, okay, two more weeks and maybe we'll figure it out. You know, they seem to have figured it out much faster this year. The interesting thing is that the defense, I think someone mentioned it in the chat. The defense is still not right time, guys. It still is not where it needs to be in any way, shape or form, but then you have to think of this week that you are going to end up with Jamal Adams, Witherspoon, and probably Woolen, Reek, Reek Woolen, all on the field. They are finally, and I said this earlier today, they are finally going to be able to put the team they want on the field, right? As long as, you know, Brooks, this little weird injury, now we have Jones that so we have to keep an eye out for, this, that, and the other. But... I'm excited to see what they do with that because I think what has done, what they have done really well so far is work with the pieces that they have. I, I said this to you guys in our group chat. I was really surprised at how low the numbers came out after the game for Stone Forsythe and Jay Curran because I thought they were playing well. But what you, when you go back and watch it, what they're doing is they're using their tight ends to help them. So they are working wonderfully as a unit. And that of course is way more important than individual numbers. But so I think sometimes we feel the eye test tells us they're doing better than maybe the numbers do, but that's when you still go with the eye test. You skip the numbers yeah. because they, what we're seeing get put on the field has been way more impactful than what the numbers say. Yeah. Andy Dickerson, man. That right. guy, yeah. he like he 
I would put this out there. My take is he might be the best head coach candidate on Pete's staff right now. Um, what right, he's don't go too deep into what? that because that that's a Patreon question. So don't go too deep into. Oh, that. okay. I won't <laughs> go too far then, but I, I I think he deserves a ton of credit. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Patreon questions. Um, to that end, just to say put some numbers to your your point, Dana, the Seahawks offensive line, pass blocking and run blocking is in the top half of the league and close to the top 10. Whether you're looking at PFF grades, you're looking at pass block win rate, run block win rate, all these different metrics. That is absolutely batshit insane, guys. Like with both tackles being out for all but one half, for, for like four of the five linemen to be out for most of this last game, Phil Haynes, somehow, like, I didn't even realize this, but I've been looking at all the advanced metrics. He is one of the top five guards in football so far this year, pass blocking and run blocking. Like, you know, he's only, he missed one game, but so, like, don't over go crazy. But has he ever, has the Seahawks in the last 10 years had a guard show up in the top five in those metrics, like, for even a couple of weeks? I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's been pretty rare. So, you know, it's definitely impressive. I think there's one guy I want to hear from you guys about. And, and this is look when we went back to the beginning of the season, we were looking at what this year meant, right? What, what questions had to be answered? What did we talk about? We talked about run defense, obviously. I think we can all agree as of right now, not only has that been solid, but there's reason to believe it'll stay solid. Like, I don't think there's a, sure. You have to see it time and again, but it feels really good. What's one of the other things, Geno Smith. And my question, I'm going to start with you, Evan, on this. Ha, has Geno Smith answered the question yet? Was last year a fluke? Has that question been answered three weeks into this season? I don't I don't think it has, to be honest. Okay. With you. I don't I don't think it has. Um, because his drop off was pretty significant last year, um, from how he started. And he, you know, it was about an eight or nine game stretch where he did not finish very well. So is he on the right trajectory? Absolutely. Yes. Really stoked with what he's doing. Let's, uh, let's see him do it against some top, top defenses in the NFL. And I'm looking forward to that Niners game. I'll just say that. Well, yeah. So Jeff, I'm curious your thoughts here. I mean, Gino's is now, even with, his first game, which was one of his worst games statistically as a Seahawks starter, he's only had two games since then. He is already back to the top seven in any any major metric you look at, um, whether it's passer rating, whether it's QBR, whether it's EPA, whether it's PFF grade. He is he's already played well enough in the last two games, that, and that includes a bad half against the Panthers. So I'm I'm wondering like. He had a bad half last, bad half, second half of the year. He's now back to being a top seven QB with all these problems we just showed. Do you still feel like, ah, I don't know, maybe last year was still a fluke? No, I think it's not a fluke. I think there's evidence we've seen both the what he can do, and I think it's pretty clear what kind of player he is. I think when he gets protected and there's play action, he can be a really a low-end top 10 quarterback even with top five ceiling. Like he looked like an all pro player against Detroit. And the second half, I think Bob Condotta tweeted this and I agreed with it. 
I don't think I realized how good he played because of so many things going on in that game. But when he's not protected and when he forces things, you see what we saw in the second half of last year. So he's got some like Jared Goff to him in terms of like his playing style, where when things are working really well, he can really work a good offense. But I thought the tackles going out were going to summary in a season. So I've been really pleasantly surprised. I thought this was going to be an 0-3 stretch when those two tackles were out. I tweeted that. I've been shocked with how well he's done. But it, the two areas that the numbers speak out, I think pro football focus, this is an area I really like them on. When went, Him on play action and him in the middle of the field, he's been a dominant player in both areas. I think he's perfect. And he's up there in one of the top quarterbacks in the league in completion percentage. So I don't think he's a fluke. I still agree with Evan. We still need to see what his ceiling is. And you'll have that stretch where you play San Francisco, Dallas, and Philly. Those are the best defenses and the best. That's, I know, Dana, I'm dreading that so much. But that's where you're going to see what Geno Smith is. But like, I have a buddy in Toronto who's like a radio host, and he's a Seahawks fan. And after the first week of the year, he wrote me, this guy's the worst quarterback in the NFL outside of Desmond Ritter. And we all felt like shit after that game. And like I was saying, like, no, like, at least he's a middle-of-the-road quarterback. And this guy's like, no, I can't watch this guy play in the last two weeks. He's been, he's been a pleasure to watch. So I don't think he is a fluke. I think he's doing what he did last year when things are working around him and when play action is involved. And week one, I criticized Shane Waldron because I thought he did an awful job in the last two weeks. He's been a lot better. Yes. But I will. I agree with Evan. We need to see what his ceiling is against those top teams. And for the data point, they have that stretch coming up in November, December. And we're going to learn the most. Every week is a data point for the Seahawks development here. And let me just add one thing. I have not forgiven the Seahawks for week one. I'm really excited about what they're yeah. doing in the trajectory. But seriously. Yeah. That game was horrible. Yeah, and I think Pete. I, I think Pete. I do not really that. messed that one up. <laughs> yeah, I think Pete was a lot of credit. No, he he brings it up every time he's interviewed and every show he brings it up. He's like, still says he has no idea what the hell happened in that game, and it irritates me. What? I think Pete botched that whole week. Yep. They and looked like a team that had bought in. Their they read read their headlines. They thought the Rams were going to suck, and they got stomped. I blame Rams, the coach. Rams, by the way, look pretty solid. Uh, and the so defense lost. in particular was a group that was a bunch of no names. And people were like, we all were like, this is not going to be like, I thought they looked pretty darn good against the Bengals. Uh, they were flying around. And so that team's better than we thought. I don't yeah. think they're great, but they're definitely better than we thought. Well, and. They had O-line, oh they had one O-line injury and their O-line collapsed like a house of cards. And if you watch the second half of that game, that's the thing about the Rams. They have no depth. Yes. Yes. But like to, to the point though, they're better than I think still, they're still better than expected. And the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, if you look at, at like EPA things, they are essentially the, the Rams, like they're equivalent. And we're going to talk about here in a little bit, looking ahead at the Giants game. I don't know that the Cardinals are really in competition for that Caleb Williams pick anymore. I mean, we'll see over time, like the Giants and the Bears and like some of these other teams look much more like dumpster fires. I thought the Cardinals would look like the Bears and they haven't so far. So we're not going to talk about them right now, but Dana, I, Last thing on Gino, and then we'll we'll kind of move mm -hmm. on. I, I kind of have a, a super corny, uh, you know, notion I've come up with. I think there is like the 
there's two versions of Gino. There's Gino, like where he's in the first half of that game. And you're like, what are you doing? Throwing that pass. And then there's like Gino. And, and he was both guys in this game. In his first mm-hmm. half, I tweeted out, he's playing awful. He's, he's repeatedly forcing balls to Tyler Lockett that aren't there. He threw that pick that shouldn't have been a pick. Like he was not a good player in that first half. And then the second half goes 12 or 13 with the one incompletion being a throwaway. And he carves them up. The Seahawks scored 37 points in that game while having to settle for five field goals. Like that, if it's just a little bit different, is in the mid 40s that game. Mm-hmm. So I, in, mm-hmm. what left what left do you need to see from Gino to feel like, no, this guy's your guy? I don't really have much left I need to see from him. I, I, I'm actually perfectly happy with Geno Smith. I, I think that he is giving us everything that we need him to do. Could he do it a little better? Yes. Could he do it a little more consistently? Yes, because that is seems to be his issue. But I will tell you this. I was watching the first half of that game, and I was like, I, I just felt like he didn't trust that line. He didn't trust them to give him the time that he needed, to give him you know what what he needed in order to get some of those passes out. And in the second half, he seemed to kind of trust the system just a little bit more. And that's just, like I said, that's just my opinion. I haven't heard that from anyone. But that's what it felt like. He felt a little skittish in that first half. And I think he kind of calmed down about it. I think that what we are getting from Gino is what we're going to get from Gino. I think that Gino is a good quarterback to a really good quarterback who can put up a lot of points and who can run a game well. Is he ever going to be Patrick Mahomes? No, he's just not. And we just need to get over that notion. Is he ever going to be, you know, a Josh Allen or any of that? No, but he's doing exactly what we need him to do. He is playing well. He is going to be a high-level quarterback. He needs everything else to go right also in order for him to do that. And I just feel like he just didn't trust that line at the beginning. So I'm I'm perfectly happy with where we're at with Gino right now. And that's probably not a popular opinion, nor will my Jamal Adams opinion be popular. But I just think we'll I just, I'm good with it. We'll get to no. that. And and no. uh, Dana, if you wouldn't mind starting to look up patron yeah. questions, I think we'll start doing you those here in a second. I'll just I'll say this just to mainly to tweak Evan, but I do believe this. Um, I think Gino. I think Gino is going to be at least as good as Russell Wilson was um, as a starter mm-hmm. for the Seahawks. At uh, his peak? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think Russell Wilson had... Russell Wilson was like an MVP candidate for, in 2020 through like week, week 13. Which one of them got an MVP vote? Oh, please. Come on. That's a bullshit argument. And you know Is it, it really? Yeah, it so, is. Come on. So, Russell Wilson, dude, he... Come on. Bro, I come think... On. I think Gino, if you look, if you look at the metrics and what it's going to look like from an efficiency and a contribution perspective, I don't think he's gonna be ever do the if you're talking about Russell Wilson as a runner, as a full offensive weapon, then no. But as a quarterback, as a passer, I think that Geno Smith is going to is going to be at that level. Um, and I I think that he's already come pretty close to matching some of that. So We'll see. Like, is he going to get to where he's challenging 50 touchdowns in a season? Probably not. But honestly, Russell didn't really withhold those stand up to those paces either. I think that people forget that when Russell started with those massive, like 10 touchdowns in two weeks, three weeks kind of seasons, he also had massive, massive declines in those years where second halves of the years, 
he was just not able to sustain the performance and couldn't do it. I think Gino is going to end up becoming a more consistent performer over the course of his season. And uh, yeah, I don't, I think it's going to be a pretty negligible, negligible difference as passers. If anything, I think there's going to be a case to be made that the type of passer Gino is allows this offense to be more varied than it was and more be more dependable and reliable week to week than Russell was. It's it's possible, but I, I just don't think we should undersell. Like I, I remember particularly that 2020 year where Lamar Jackson ended up winning it, where it was like those first 12 or 13 weeks, what Russell Wilson was doing was like historic. It was. It was. It was like out they're, of this world. Very different. They are yeah, very different. They are very different, but like, I, I, I think it's going to be hard to replicate that. Yeah, Russell is one of the best playmakers. Peak Russell is one of the best playmakers, but I do agree with Brian. Just the way he plays quarterback is way more just sustainable. And he's way more complete of a player than Russell was. But Russell's ability to hit those like that moon ball and the playmaking, well, that's that's sort of Gino's thing. Like the ringer does quarterback ranking, Stephen Ruiz, I think his name is. It's a weekly list of like and he does a really good job. I heard him on the Bill Simmons podcast. He like goes through the like he studies a ton on quarterback. They have Geno right now, number eight in the league. Number eight in the league, and they have him ahead of Jalen Hurts. And that's purely based on how he's played this year. <laughs> I don't yeah. think what Brian's saying is too far-fetched. I get where he's coming from, but I think I leave with Evan on this one. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it, and I expect it to be controversial. I... I... This I think people will take this as a trolling of Russell. I think what I mean it to be is I think people still are underestimating that Geno Smith is playing a very high level of of quarterback. And I think we're going to find that it is more sustainable, more consistent, more repeatable across uh, against different types of defenses, different types of game plans. And I'm here for it. So I, I'm it. Bottom line, I'm enjoying this. I would like to see fewer of the, the the troughs, but give him those two tackles back. I, I you know, I'm I'm really and like. Then we'll see. We'll talk about JSN. I'm sure that'll come up. But like, I, I'm really interested in what comes comes from from uh, the the rest of this season. Dana, I've taken too long. I'm sure you got the Patreon questions. Patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. You can sign up, get access to Slack, and ask us questions as well. All right, Dana, let's let's take a few like uh, Patreon questions. All right. So the first one's from Derek. It says, which part of the offense, rushing or passing, do you think will be more effective and or more crucial to success against the Giants on Monday? Uh, Jeff, why don't you take that one? Uh, it might be the running. I think the Giants have – they're really, really good at the defensive tackle spot. But, Brian, you have to correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they're a particularly good run defense. You're talking about the Giants? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Giants' defense is ranked 29th in rush yards against 16th in yards per rush. So they're <laughs> that's actually one of their better marks. <laughs> but, uh, no, they've not been a great run defense. No, and I think just the way you saw Seattle's line of scrimmage control the game, I think just opened up everything else. And their pass defense this year, I read Brian's tale of tape today, their pass defense has been awful. And But the way Wink Martindale throws blitzes at you, is that's such a big game because Geno's eating up the blitz. So that's his whole defense. So I do think the run game can really kind of neutralize that 
Wink Martindale pass rush, and I think it can open up everything else. And usually I would go with the passing offense, but I might be wrong here, but I think the run game is going to be crucial against them. Can I give a, a different yeah. answer? Can I, can I say the passing game? Uh, just because sure. their back seven was really struggled in 2022, but they have two mm-hmm. rookies. Um, and I pulled up their names so, so I didn't butcher them. It's Deontay Banks and Trey yeah. Hawkins, who have actually performed pretty well for them over the past couple. Ah! De- Deontay Banks has allowed like three catches for like 40 yards. He was their first weeks. round pick. Yeah. And then Trey Hawkins is a little bit more so-so, but and then they, I think they have a Dory Jackson as well. But th- the reason I'm saying this is this is an area where I think Seattle has a lot of veteran talent against our, you know, on the, in our receiving group. So take advantage of that, you know, welcome these rookies to the NFL. You know, they're, they're, they've been playing well the past couple of weeks, but let's give them a, let's Dallas give them an ass whooping. <laughs> All right. Next question. This one is for Evan. It's from Jason. Why didn't Myers win special teams player of the week, Evan? Why didn't he? Yeah. Who did win? Mm-hmm. It wasn't Jason. Kenneth Walker won, you know, for offense. But. Uh, I'll look it up real quick. Because the NFL is rigged against Jason Myers, and there's a propaganda machine that Brian Nemhauser controls in his back office. Now, can we actually talk about this for a fucking second? Matt Prater Mother- of the Arizona Cardinals won it. Oh, Matt Prater. Okay. That's He's like 45, bad, isn't he? I love Matt Prater. That that's a guy I, I can cheer for as a kicker. Matt Prater, yeah. Um, consistent. Every single person in the world was shitting on Jason Myers in week two. Deservedly so. Per- yes, yes, deservedly so. But you know what? He bounced back and went five for five. Has a Dude, higher field goal percentage. Not, has no, a higher has a higher field goal podcast. percentage than Justin. Tucker, motherfucker, Justin Tucker, Brady Henderson. I was on with another. Can we give him some credit for emotional and mental resilience? Can we give him some credit? Emotional resilience, Brian. Emotional resilience. You know how many people in that stadium could have gone five for five at forty yards and under? Like he made one field goal over forty yards, like forty-three yards. Like if you're doing, could he have missed them instead? He's getting paid like more than most players on that team. <laughs> He's the tenth highest played player. That is ridiculous. Seahawks. So if you can't make five forty-three yard field goals, then we're talking about cutting this dude. Like, don't I, tell me that's a good performance. Five for five is a good performance. Yes, it is. Going a hundred percent. Jeez, Louise. That's this oh. stinks. I'm man. sorry he didn't miss a kick this week. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's coming. It's mental fortitude. Mental move on, Jason. Thanks for bringing that up, Nick. This one is from Nick. Um, Brian, this one is for you. After three weeks, is this team better than you thought or worse? Oh my god, that is so complicated. My, I'm a little with Evan here. On, I I have not yet figured out how to, to like where to go with this team. My, the whole reason I started a blog in the first place was because I was so emotionally tied up in Seahawks football that I needed to do all the research possible to like give myself emotionally prepared for whether the team was going to lose or win and have like some point of view on that. And it's worked pretty well. I've had a pretty good feel over the years with whether the te- this team freaking like totally wrong week one. 
totally wrong week two. It's been a long time since that's happened for me. Um, and then week three kind of went I, roughly how I expected, but it was one half was super one way and one half's another way. So I think it's got to be an incomplete grade until we start seeing some of these players come back from injury, whether they can sustain performance multiple weeks in a row, whether, you know, the defense starts to like, so far the defense is worse statistically than I was hoping they would be. The offense is better statistically than I was hoping for it to be. And there's way more reasons why it shouldn't be. And Devin Witherspoon looks really good. And now like I'm talking myself into this defense has a path to actually be good. So I, I like, I think the trajectory is this team could be meaningfully better than I expected. Now I predicted 12 wins, I think 11 wins, I think 11. I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look, but it's not like I predicted a bad year. After week one, I was one game down on them. I'm probably back to at least where I started the season prediction. And these next four games are going to tell us a lot. I think this team realistically could go to six and one. I don't think that's crazy talk with these next four games. If they do that, all right, let's go. But it starts this week, Monday Night Football, against a Giants team that has been absolutely trash. Got to win it. I think you have to win it big, too. All right, so this one is from Bruden. Um, okay, so I want to read it because I don't want any crap from Nathan where he's like, oh, you didn't read the question beforehand. Right, right, right. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, so from Bruden, three-seventeenths of the way into the season, what position group would you upgrade now via trade versus where you wanted to upgrade in the preseason? Jeff. In the preseason, any possible upgrade would have been the interior defensive line. I still think they're playing with fire there. I know Mario Edwards and Jaron Reed have played well, but Draymond Jones has been pretty disappointing. It's been pretty quiet. And if he's out for a bit with that hip injury, and Mike Morris is out. They don't have much there. But the position that like kind of worries me, the, the outside edge rush has not been great. And that was a position I had really high hopes for. Nuosu's been pretty good. But like Boyamafe is a guy I really like. But I still, when I watch them, they're still – and Boyamafe is advanced numbers. But you still need more from like Daryl Taylor. I know some of his like pass rush win rates are good. But – He's making like minimal impact on the game. And Derek Hall looks like how a second round edge rusher who doesn't have a lot of moves looks like. And you watch these great defenses and you see what Miles Garrett and TJ Watt and all those guys do. The Seahawks just seem still deficient in that area with the amount of investment they've made there. And if you could add one more piece that's more of that game wrecker, that group kind of still lingers because the outside rush, I know Mafe was really, really good last game. It still worries me. The, the impact they're making on third down is just so bad right now. They're not affecting the passer. I know they said all those rushes, but if that's a problem all year when they play against some of the better quarterbacks, I think that might be a more deficient group than I even thought. But I still, big picture, I think it has to be interior defensive line. Oh, they man. need more playmakers there. 
take one of these dudes that we're playing this week, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams. Yeah. Those are those are dudes. And I gotta say, it drives me crazy to see that Javon Hargrave is, you know, again a top three, top five pass rusher that they added. And like we spent all this money on Draymond Jones and we got bootleg, you know, like he's he's Draymond Jones is never going to live up to that contract. I feel pretty confident. This I like I've seen enough already. This guy's not a dude. He might be a complimentary player, but he is not. He's not a guy you build a defense around uh, or a defensive line around. So, ugh. hopefully, hopefully he contributes at least and gets 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 going. Javon right. Hargrave only hmm. makes three million dollars more a year. Than That's my game. point. Like yeah. you went you went big, but you went for the like the cheaper dude a little bit. And I'm not sure that that's and, you're, you're getting mean, they, 3 million less in, in value. They yeah. had an opportunity to sign him, right? He hit free agency. Javon. Yeah. What I think what happened with them is I think they tried to sign Zach Allen, who was a tier below him and, and they, he went to Denver and I think they were left with more money than they probably thought. And they weren't in the Jermon Johnson. I think they kind of got, they dipped back in there and sort of acted desperate and they had to overpay to get him. And Jermon Jones is a fine player. Like he's a guy who does break up double teams. He is a complimentary, but yeah, like you said, the difference between him and Hargrave, I think you would have admitted at any point is pretty glaring. So to pay 18 million for a guy that's not Hargrave when you could have got Hargrave for like 22, it's a tough one to swallow. All right, Dan, a couple it more. Is. Yeah. Um, let's go back. Brian, I'm going to go back to you. This is the question I stopped you on earlier. Which coach on the Seahawks coaching staff would you say has been the most valuable for the first three games? So I knew that you would say Andy Dickerson, so I wanted to make sure you had time to do that. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And first of all, I mean, Andy Dickerson just seems like one of the most likable dudes. Like, I love his whole vibe. <laughs> like, everything about that guy. Mm-hmm. How he shows up. I think that he is understated you don't hear from him at all and yet i remember when the seahawks let go one of their i can't remember the offensive line maybe it was mike solari like whoever it was and a couple years ago and andy dickerson got to coach the offensive line for the last few games of the season or at least he was getting more of a say he was an assistant line coach when he first came that's when the Seahawks like went off. That's when Rashad Penny went off run game really opened up they were running different schemes on the line he had an immediate impact and it hasn't always like translated over the years, but the offensive linemen that the Seahawks have drafted since he has risen to that position have all been good. And I do believe that the the front office, like, you know, John Schneider, that they work with the coaches and the position coaches to decide who they're going to draft. And, you know, Abe Lucas, Charles Cross, uh, you know, all these guys. So, I, I think he's doing a fantastic job. I think he's got the presence of somebody that seems like he could be a head coach. Shane Waldron, who's, you know, a lot of people would look at that. I still don't see Shane Waldron as head coach material, um, you know, as a leader. I think he's a good OC, but I don't think he's a leader in the same way. So, and, and I, Clint Hurt, but it's not even worth talking about. I think Clint Hurt, <laughs> presence-wise, could do it, but he doesn't have the it doesn't have the results to even be in the conversation. So Andy Dickerson for me, far and away is, is a guy that should be getting a little bit more pub. 
All right, so there were a bunch more questions where I know we're a little pressed for time today. So I'm just going to do one more. Um, and then, guys, I will try and go back and maybe these guys will too go back and answer your questions in the Patreon chat. I know that there's quite a few. But this one is a good one. It's for Michael. Um, and that last question was from Sam Brown. Thanks, Sam. Um, this one's from Michael Mathis. You'll know why I picked that. Which does Jamal Adams improve more, the pass rush or pass coverage? Evan, it's your turn. It's got to be the pass rush, I think, just because of how they scheme him. He gets a lot of open open lanes to the quarterback, and he's a very diverse, it's sort of like gadget type of player. So he's flexible. Uh, I think I, I'm, I'm a little traumatized by some of his uh, blips in, in pass coverage. So pass rush is an easy answer for me there. I want to, uh, first of all, thank you, Dana, for walking us through Patreon questions. And thanks to all the patrons for sharing your questions. Patreon.com slash HawkBlogger. You can sign up, get access to Slack channel, and you can ask us questions that we will do our best to answer as many of as we can each week. We do have uh, a little bit of time constraints today, so we're going to try to go through a couple more things. Um, Evan may have to drop a little bit before the rest of us, so um, we will get to his prediction at least before then. But I do want to talk about Jamal Adams. This is one thing that I, I wanted to like get into. Jamal Adams is coming back. This is monumental for him, for the organization. We just talked about that they you know, restructured his contract. He, this guy is part of this team, like it or not. So the... I think my first question, Dana, I'm going to go to you on this is what, what's a reasonable expectation of, of like, what is a successful besides being healthy through the end of the game? What does a successful first game look like for Jamal Adams? Putting a foot on the field. I'm not even kidding. I'm just so excited because you, I look at this way different than you guys do. And I understand that. But I think the morale aspect of this is going to be huge, right? I think that this is going to be big. I think that that just, you know, for him, for the team coming back from an injury that could have ended his career, you know, and so that is huge to me. Number two, I think the impact that I see him having, and it would be a successful game, is that Quandary Diggs can actually stop babysitting everyone else on that line and actually play his position, because I really feel like that, that some of that is happening. He, there isn't a trust level. With Jamal, he has that trust level there, and so he won't have to be watching what everyone else is doing. I think I mentioned this, I don't know if it was this show or another one, but that one of the best things about the Legion of Boom was they did not have to look to see where the other people were. They trusted them. They did their job. They never paid attention to what was outside their scope. We don't have that with this team. And I think getting Jamal Adams back does, you know, improve that greatly. Plus him covering a couple of those passes across the middle that they've just been killing us on. That's hugely successful. Um, it was a point was made to me today that it seems to be Pete is not, bringing these players back and putting them on a pitch count. He's not bringing these players back and easing them back into the game. It doesn't seem to be that he's bringing them back until they are ready to go completely 100%. And so I expect that also for Jamal Adams. Um, and so a successful game is for him. I would love for him to get a sack or even just put some pressure out there and then to cover that middle a little bit more. I'm just so damn excited. And I'm sick of getting crap for liking Jamal Adams, but he is a fantastic player and he is when he's healthy. And yes, there have been some issues there, but remember when we traded for him, there was like 10 other teams trying to get him too. And we have to remember that. 
Yeah, I'm a huge Jamal Adams fan um, for sure. So I, I, I certainly don't fault you for it. Um, I have some questions about some of the, you know, roster decisions and contract decisions they've made. Around yeah, and that's, that's fair. Yeah, that that's a little different. But Evan, I know you're going to have to run, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you next with a little bit about Jamal, and then also like what you're looking for in this game and your score prediction. And then Jeff, I'm gonna come to you about Jamal, and we're gonna keep going for a little bit past the hour as we kind of you know, preview the game. So so Evan, Jamal, and your 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 uh, your kind of Giants preview prediction. Yeah, I, I just think like him debuting on a Monday night in New York in front of a New York crowd is going to be uh, the perfect stage for him to debut and show that he's back and that he's healthy and that he's the same player that he was because this team needs him to be that type of player. So I'm excited for his debut. Um, this defense needs him, obviously, to continue the progress they're making. But in terms of this Giants game, um, they have one of the worst, like, through three weeks, like what, like across the entire offensive line, uh, they've really struggled in pass protection. The tackles are really bad. Um, a former Seahawk, uh, Mark Lewinsky. Lewinsky. Yeah. He got benched. Did he get benched? He got he, benched. He's been playing so bad. Mm-hmm. So they've really struggled in pass protection. So, uh, what is Saquon's status? Is he, is he, is he playing? We're or saying day to day. He's got, uh, he's got a high ankle sprain and he's missed only one wake week. So I, I think this matches up well for Seattle, to be honest with you, like Seattle, they've played, they've, you know, done a fairly decent job stopping the run so far. And I am not impressed with what I we've seen from them from, from an air air attack through three weeks. And if they have any hopes of winning this game, New York, they're going to need to run the ball against this defense. And I don't think they're going to have success doing it. So this may be a coming out party for this team. This, this could be, I think one of the first, not one of the first, but um, you know, a, a blowout that we haven't seen in a while. So I think this team could win by 17 plus points on Monday night. What is your prediction? I'm going to go 31-14. Love it. Love it. Hey, thank you. That's Evan Hill HB. Thanks for coming with us, Evan, and have a good rest of your night. Uh, Jeff, you know, Jamal going back to New York. Julian Love going back to New York. Uh, The Giants backs against the wall, one and two one of the worst teams in the league by almost any measure, whether it's offense, defense, passing, running, pass defense, run defense, all of it. What do you, what do you like, what are you looking at in this game? And, and, you know, start a little bit with like how Jamal you think is going to show up in this game. What are you looking for there? So like so much has happened to Jamal. We almost forget what a talking point he was last year when Clint Hurt got the job and like, he had those great radio interviews. And when Ken Norton got to let go, the big criticism was, their usage of Jamal Adams and how they were using him to play like deep safety and they weren't blitzing him because it was so obvious. And Clint Hurt came in all the questions around the Seahawks last year was, can they use Jamal Adams? Right. Can we? And he got hurt so quickly. It almost evaporated the storyline. And then, so I think this is a huge deal for Clint Hurt and how they utilize him. There's talk about him playing linebacker. There's talk about him being more of just a unique chess piece because that's what he was in New York with more creative defensive guys like Todd Bowles. And they used him really, really effectively. And Seattle was either really, really obvious with him and they never really figured out. And they've had trouble in the past using kind of these 
Swiss Army knife players that don't fit into traditional rules. So I think you're going to see him a linebacker. I think you're going to see him be like used as a weapon more so than a traditional safety. And the whole reason they signed Julian Love wasn't just to mask him. It was the ability to use these three safeties and be able to use different looks. And so this is such an interesting game because like Jordan Brooks has come back from what seemed like an injury where we barely see him this year. And he's been full go ahead. And he, he's looked like the same player, which is pretty remarkable. So Adams, I had, I was at the point where I just thought if he played it at all this year, it'd be a, a bonus. And I didn't have any expectations of him playing. And this seemed like such a nasty injury, barely like Pete was sounded pretty negative on him coming out of camp. And that's if they have him full go ahead, that's a really impactful thing because just watching this defense, I see it like they, they're just missing that, like that stud. And Witherspoon has signs of it, but I think cornerbacks are a little different. Mm-hmm. Like the way Jamal impacted games, he was like that guy who took over the game. That's why Dallas, San Francisco, Seattle, they were all trying to trade for him because he was just like the lifeblood of a defense. And, Outside of him pass rushing that first year, we just haven't seen it. And really watching Seattle's defense, you still see they don't have that force player. They have some good players, but they're missing that force player that impacts the quarterback. And if Jamal can be that guy and just sort of like bring energy to this defense that sort of lacks that and kind of move Quandre Diggs into a better place, move Julian Love into a better role, that could have a multiplying effect. But again, I, I just have such low expectations because I just haven't seen it. And it's coming off injury. But, man, this could change a lot of what they're missing on defense right now. Yeah, it, 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 when people bring up the um, uh, the first season he had in Seattle, excuse me. Um, sorry, I got to think I might have to sneeze. Uh, <laughs> um, and they talk about the nine and a half sacks, and they're like, oh, like that's what he's capable of. I thought that was one of the most unimaginative <laughs> utilizations of Jamal Adams. Like it was great that he had nine and a half sacks and yes, he is a very, like he's an elite blitzer. He's a, he is very capable as a pass rusher, especially for a defensive back. And that's great. But Jamal Adams, you want to know a Jamal Adams impact on a game you put on week one of whether it was that year or the next year against Atlanta in Atlanta. And he was all over the place. He was making plays in coverage. He's making plays in uh, in support of the run. He's making plays as a blitzer. He could be a linebacker. He could be a safety. He could be an edge rusher. Like he is a playmaker. He's a dude. And, and so, and he also just brings that swag that I, I think one of the things people have started to pick up on with Devin Witherspoon is he does that too. There's been a notice like Reek Woolen, as much as we all love him and know how talented he is and how much he's accomplished already, he doesn't bring that swag. Like he is a super laid back dude. Like he's just out there playing football. He's he's like so talented. He just kind of rolls onto the field and he's that good at football. He hasn't had to, he doesn't, he just doesn't bring the same energy. Reek Woolen, he is just going nuts. I think he was more excited for Bobby Wagner's introduction on the first week of the season than maybe any other player on the Seahawks defense has been at any other time this year on the field. So I, I just am really excited to see those two together bringing that energy and reflecting off of each other. And I think that great defenses have swagger. Now that might seem like a super fan view. I don't really care. I just know that like, Great defenses feel that like they're feeling themselves out there. They feel each other's energy. They feel each other's, you know, they celebrate each other's plays. They build on each other. And 
I think Jamal is one of the guys that can amplify that and really lead that way. So I, I, it's not just that he's an energy guy, but it's important. And I'm just interested. I want to see, I, I think we have to be realistic that Jordan Brooks made some Herculean return from a, an injury. That's unrealistic for almost anybody. Yeah. I think the realistic expectation is that Jamal Adams is not going to be the Jamal Adams of your, um, at least in week one, maybe not this whole year, but if he can just start to like fit in, make a few plays, make some like, like big hits, run support and stay healthy. I think that that's a big deal. And I think that would be, that'd be exciting to see. I am just interested to see this secondary, like folks, that's the biggest part of this game. I think this is the first time we'll see what happens with Trey Brown. Early signs are good that he'll make it back from a concussion, but if he plays and Woolen returned, which is what Pete said he expects, this is the first time that I think we can realistically say, okay, this is a secondary that should be able to perform and I want to see it. And if they can do that against a really shitty Daniel Jones and like, they've got some receivers like Derek, uh, tight end wise, you've got Waller, who's very good. You know, Slayton's okay. Um, Jalen Hyatt's a burner and can, you know, get behind defenses. So, like, they've got some weapons. I want to see this team knocking down passes, making plays, intercepting a pass here or there. Um, I, I want to see that. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to seeing if Boye Mafe can repeat what he did. I was very excited about what I saw there. I, I've seen limited reason to believe he's a good pass rusher. He had like seven pressures in that game or, or whatever it was. He was he was very productive as a pass rusher, and I think we need to see more. So it's it's a lot about defense this week. The Giants have their backs against the wall, and the Seahawks are going to have to face them on their home field battling for their season. And they are going to get back their left tackle, their starting left tackle. And that's a big deal. I think they're getting back one of their starting guards that's been out. So um, I don't think this is like the, the Giants. Dana, if I told you that the Giants ranked 32 out of 32 teams in the league for overall PFF grading, if I told you they were like similarly ranked in every major category, this is – statistically essentially the worst team in football so far i don't think it's going to feel that way come monday no because we have to keep in mind that it's a very small sample size right it's three weeks you guys and they got absolutely destroyed by dallas 40 to nothing and so that's going to skew a lot of those numbers so we need to keep that in mind plus as we all know professional football teams are professional football teams and so that they can actually you know we can't dismiss anyone but the beautiful thing about this game i think is that it is a Monday night football game. And what does Pete Carroll do when he's put under the bright lights of Sunday night or Monday night football? He wins. And he just, they, they, they treat it differently. They treat it as the national stage. And I think that that's what we're going to see out of Seattle. The interesting thing with the Giants is that all that hype coming off of last year just deflated them. And I just don't know, you know, this year, I don't know that they can get that back. Plus their division is absolutely monster. Right. And so I think that while they are fighting for their season, they don't have a lot in the fight to fight with. They just don't have the talent level. They just don't have, like you said, the depth. 
And they have Daniel Jones, who they overpaid, and everyone knows they overpaid. And so I feel really confident about this game. But at the same time, I think that we need to see a few things from Seattle in order for me to be really confident getting JSN more in um, in the game. And we need to talk about Tavon Austin at some point, too. I think that we need to figure out why the hell they brought him in. But um, and so I think that um, that we need to see a few more things the consistency with the running back, Gino, not having a bad first half, that sort of thing, in order to put, they need to put an exclamation mark on this game so that people now will stop putting them at, you know, in their power ranking of 15 for Seattle, you know, because they think that they just won a couple fluky games. Jeff. Yeah. Tell me, <laughs> yeah. tell me how this game looks. If, how should this game play out? How should this game play out? This is a game where Evan said that Seattle could blow the Met because it's a matchup that really works in their favor. When I saw the Vegas line and I saw the Giants were initially favored. I was kind of taken back by it. There's no metric, no evidence, but listen, these guys are so good at this. Even a couple of weeks ago when the line started moving towards Seattle and they had those tackles that were like, what the hell is going on? So that made me think maybe I'm missing something here and maybe it's just the Giants are due for a correction. But the thing with the Giants is they're just a very limited team from a firepower perspective. And when you take Saquon out of their lineup, they're just deficient there. They don't have much on offense. They have some decent receivers. And listen, I would have said the same thing about Carolina last week and Adam Thielen and DJ Chark and Hayden Hurst won like every third dance. But they have Darren Waller, they have Slayton, they have a couple decent slot receivers, but they just don't have firepower. And it's the game that if Seattle can pressure Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones is sort of like what we said about Goff. He, when he's under pressure, he's not a good quarterback. And he's good with his legs, but I think there's a game where you can see Bobby Wagner being used as a blitzer really well. I think that's a really important job. I don't think they've really tapped into that quite yet. He's been really good against the run, but the Rams use him really well as a blitzer. And I think this is a game where we're going to learn whether the Seattle defense is this bad. Because if they struggle against this offense, like – Last week's as weak as an offense as you're going to see. And they gave up way too many easy third downs. So this is a game if Seattle's defense plays well and does take that step forward with the pass defense and the pass coverage, this could be a blowout. But if Seattle's defense plays like they did against Adam Thielen, this game's going to be unnecessarily close because if that Carolina passing game, which the week before I couldn't move the ball at all, and they looked completely inept. Mm -hmm. Can I say something really quick? Yeah, just because the, the chat, sometimes they need to hear things. Okay. Yes. Pete Car the, the Seahawks have lost on Monday Night Football before. Yes, they have. By the way, the Seattle Seahawks have our 27 and 12 all-time Monday Night Football, the best record in the NFL. And they're 11 and 4 under Pete Carroll. So they're good. They're good on Monday Night Football. They have been good. And, and Jeff, you brought up a couple points that I think are pretty important around Daniel Jones. And... Uh, by the way, that was an elite eye roll, Dana. I Thank really you. It's just like, of I course they've it. lost. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so Daniel Jones, when he's under pressure, has a 51.6 grade uh, in PFF. When he's kept clean, he's 80.6 uh, as a player. So when he's blitzed, it's a 50.1. So he's, he has not been good against the blitz. One of the things that you might not know about Daniel Jones, and this is similar to Gino, 
he is the fifth ranked pass uh, passer on play action passes. So he has a 88.6 grade from PFF on play action passes. That's fifth in the NFL. Geno Smith is 91.3. He is the second best play action passer in the NFL so far this year. And one of the other things that I find really interesting in this game, I don't know how much you guys paid attention to the Giants against Brock Purdy and the 49ers, but they blitzed, I can't remember, it was like 76, like it was like some crazy, like they blitzed him almost every single play. And Brock Purdy had a bad first half. Point being, they blitz. This is a blitz happy team. Link Martindale, yeah. Geno Smith before this week was not playing well when he was blitz. He had like his grade was in like the 60s, the 50s. It was pretty low. He had an elite game against the Panthers. He had like an over and like a 90 grade against the Bliss against the Panthers. He's now up at like 74, 75 grade against the Blitz. That was a big deal. Like he needs to show the league that you're going to get punished when you blitz. That was something Russell Wilson was really good at. When when you blitzed a lot of times, that's when he was able to uncork the deep ball and he really like killed you. So Gino's got to prove that. He did that last week. He's going to have to do that again this week. And when you've got Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams on the inside, it's not hard to imagine that they're going to create pressure, right? And it's not hard to imagine that they might be harder to run against than we would expected. And so if the Seahawks get stubborn and they're just running Zach Charbonnet directly into a brick wall or Kenneth Walker, it could be longer night than you hope for. But the percentage of drive, I think the percentage of drives that the Seahawks have scored on is like over 50% right now. So like they pretty much every other drive, they're scoring points. And the Giants to keep up with that kind of offense, I think there's only two two ways that happened maybe i could think of a third one is that daniel jones gets some sort of connection with darren waller i think that would be a like a tough one for the seahawks potentially and related to that daniel jones starts to be a runner like he is a runner has something he's good at and if the seahawks are getting pressure and he's leaking out and he's getting like the third and 10 scrambles for 12 yards that could be tough for Seattle. I think that they've got, I think that's where Jamal Adams can potentially help. I personally, this is a crazy, maybe a crazy take. I think Devin Bush would be a good play in this game. I think he's a, the fastest of the linebackers right now. I think he could help um, in keeping Daniel Jones from, from running amok. So like, I think though that's one way. The other is if Saquon Barkley's healthy and somehow he gets untracked, but I think that if he plays, he's not going to be he's not going to be the Saquon Barkley that that everyone knows. So this feels like to me a game the Seahawks should win. This feels like a game the Seahawks should win. It also feels like we're going to get the best the Giants have to offer. Um, I don't think it's going to be enough. And so let's go through and talk about predictions if if we can. Dana, um, I know you wanted to talk about Tavon Austin. My quick take there is just he and Gino playing at West Virginia together. That's what I thought. Yeah. He might be looking at something like that, but I certainly wasn't upset to see Cody Thompson release. I was never a huge believer in his upside. And if they want to bring in someone else, so be it. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's kind of what I thought too. I'm like, there's just a familiarity, 
familiarity there. So, all right, predictions. Is that what you want to tell me? What the score is going to be? What I think this is going to be a really fun game. I think that um, the the Giants might surprise us in a couple plays here and there, but I still think that Seattle will have the consistency that they need. I'm going. Actually, it's not too far off from Evans. I'm going thirty to seventeen. Thirty seventeen Seahawks. Yep. Jeff. I'm going to go not too far off, a 28-16 Seattle. I, I just think the Giants will give them trouble like they did early in the game last year. But I just think the Giants' offensive deficiencies, if you take Saquon Barkley out of their lineup, they just don't have dudes. Darren Waller is really their only like plus playmaker, and he's banged up. And this is a game where you're going to need – Seattle's invested so much in the safety position. They're going to need to start getting a return out of that spot. It's – and I don't know if we're going to see much JSN this week. I think playing against that blitz unit and against that interior mm-hmm. defensive line, I think you're going to see a lot of tight end formations, two tight ends. Disley's supposed to be back, so maybe three tight ends. That's been their best group this year and the best way to like lock Gino with easy throws. And JSN just is a victim of circumstance right now. Their their best package, especially with the tackles out, is the tight end group. They don't. He ran like 18 routes last game. They're going in 11 barely at all because of how good. Apparently, JSN's separation has been good against advanced metric-wise. That first-round pick might be kind of useless for most of the season because they're they use that group. They got to take their best group off the field right now, which is what Shane Waldron would do great. And a game against this kind of blitz, I don't know if that plays into an eleven personnel group. I I think the JSN things. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the week that JSN pops. And let's take let's take a beat on this. I know we've just didn't done our predictions, but there was an interesting video that came out of JSN and Gino on the sidelines. And this is after the interception. I said, you, did you both see this video? Yeah. Yeah. So and Gino's consoling JSN. He's saying, that's always on me. You, you know, you're doing great. Part of me was like, Okay, now I'm gonna look at that play. Was it on him? Did JSN not cut his route short enough? Like, was he part of the problem? And Gino was like, maybe that's why JSN was down. Like, why I didn't understand why JSN would be so down on himself after a Gino pick that looked very much like it was Gino's fault, unless maybe JSN didn't write run the right depth or did made a mistake there. I don't know. I also was like a little bit surprised that JSN was feeling so down. Um and and uh, I guess like part of me was like, oh, I don't know if I love that. The other part of me was, okay, well, so maybe this means he's gonna start. You know, he'll turn the corner, and and he and and Gina will turn the corner. So I still believe in JSN. Like I, I haven't lost that belief. Um, it's just a matter of when he's gonna have that breakout game, and if Charles Cross comes back. I think that's as big of an implication for JSN as as whether the Giants are a blitzing team. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I have to come back to you on this because I know JSN's your boy. Yeah, it's 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 tough because they invested the first round pick in the third receiver thing. It would unlock their offense, but the fit just isn't working right now be- with the tackle injuries, and they don't they're at their best right now when they run those tight end sets in both Detroit and Carolina. The amount of like simple completions they've created. Shane Waldron's been really creative. I texted you guys during the game, like, I gotta keep going with these tight end packages. And yeah, the clip was a little weird because it was right after that interception play where 
it seemed like Gino tried to force the ball to get him going. I didn't know if he ran the route properly, but I didn't look at it like he's like a low confidence or something. I see it as he cares, and he's probably used to. He didn't play most of last year, and when he did play, he was targeted like crazy. And in the preseason, just things looked so easy and smooth for him in training camp. And Seattle's had trouble in the past just tapping into certain players' skill sets. They've had trouble with this. And they thought that the they're just they just target their two guys, Lockett and DK, so much. And DK's been DK got like the quietest 100 yard first five bumps I've ever seen. And they haven't quite to figure out where the targets come from. And last year, Marquise Goodwin was getting three, four targets a game. And they're sort of if that's his role, that's not a good use of a first round pick unless it's planning for the future. So I think unless they really try to maximize this role and try to use, get him going, like they really make an emphasis to get him going, it's going to be a struggle for the considerable future. The cross thing does make a big difference though, because then you're not as reliant on having guys in the receiving options to kick out and help. And but like no offense, been a much better blocker than I've realized. And like he was mm. really in that area last year. So I think the Cincinnati game is a game where you're going to really see JSN emergence right after the bye week. When he had first had that injury, I didn't think we were expected to see him until this bye week anyway. Mm-hmm. So let him work through this. Let him learn the hard way. And, like, I think they got to get him going for some of these games coming up because they're going to need a high-octane pass a game against someone like Cincinnati. This game could go out of the way. Yeah, Dana, I, mm-hmm. I guess I look at this as, as its upside. I think JSN is everything, uh, every bit of a first-round pick, and it's just a matter of when he shows it. I think Jake Bobo, who's gotten more a little more playing time, this is the number one ranked run-blocking wide receiver in the whole NFL. That's pretty good. Like Anything that you can be the best at in the whole NFL is a pretty good thing as a rookie, for sure. And so I think we're just – it's going to take a little bit for JSN to get on track, but when he does, I don't think – I think this is going to be a, a – rocket fuel for this this offense oh a hundred percent and i think that there's a couple of things going on here first of all you know at the draft, i get to talk to these guys at the draft and all of them one of the things they say is oh i'm going to make the biggest impact on this team i'm going to change this team especially those first picks right the first round and i think that there is something about he's not feeling like he's holding up his weight that was kind of what i saw you know he just hasn't gotten going I do think the wrist is still a thing too. I, I think that they're not trying to, and I remember, I think it was one of you guys that said, you know, they're not, you know, throwing these bullets to him, maybe in order to save that wrist just a little bit more for it and let it get really healed up. But I think what's going on here is the easiest answer is usually one that's right in front of you. Right. And, and that, that one is just that they can't use him because they need those tight ends to help that line. And I hadn't even put that together until one of you guys mentioned that in chat. I really am like, is his wrist still hurt? You know, what's going on? But that is the most logical answer. But it's not going to take long. You're going to get those tackles back probably after the bye week. You'll have both of them back, I would assume. And that's going to go back. Then they'll be able to go back to maybe, you know, not that I'm not saying they're still not going to use those tight ends because they really are killing it right now. But I think then you'll see him take his time and really, you know, become a major part of this game. The talent is there, you know, and, and their trust in him obviously is there too. It's just a weird beginning to the season with those tackles going out and them needing the extra help from the tight ends. And yeah. so I think he'll be just fine. I think that, you know, he probably was just a little 
a little down on himself for a minute. And you know what? It really showed what a leader Gino is to go in there and be like, dude, that is all on me. You need to just let that go. And because if you watch the play, it was Gino. I mean, I didn't see anything that JSN had done, but you know, I don't look at it quite as analytically as you guys do. But I just think that it's really interesting that so many people were surprised that they, you know, when NFL films caught that, that Gino was such a leader, such a leader. That's all over. And it was like, it's exactly what I expected of him. Yeah. So I think yeah. they'll both be good. I love that. And I'll finally pro provide my prediction for this game as we wrap up here. And I appreciate all you for, for sticking with us here. Um, it this is, this is game as clear as day to me. If I'm not allowing all the doubts to creep into my head that have been planted there over the last six years and over the last few weeks about this defense and about, you know, just like being slapped in the face um, where something just goes way different. The Giants, the Giants are not good enough um, to like, they are not good enough. The Seahawks offense for all the reasons we've mentioned, they put up 37 points back to back weeks with no business from a obstacles that they're having to overcome teams that they're playing all this stuff. Like this was not something that should have happened, but it did. And now there's real reason to think it'll get better. And there's real reason to think that the defense is going to about to play its best game against a very limited offense. And honestly, one of the things I get a little bit of echoes of an old game at Philadelphia where the Seahawks went in there on a Monday night and they just wiped the floor, wiped the field with the Eagles. I think it was like 42, nothing. Like there's been a couple times, actually. I think the, the Seahawks have done that to the Eagles in Philadelphia. And I don't think that's going to happen necessarily, but honestly, what should happen if you look at the numbers, um, the Seahawks should score in the mid thirties and the giants should score in the low teens. Like that's what this game should be. I think there's reasons why it'll be closer than that, but my official prediction, I'm going to go with 32 to 13 Seahawks and God dang it. Don't make me regret it boys. Like go out there and, and like show that this is a team to get excited about as they head into a bye week and then let's let's you know let's get ready with Abe Lucas coming back in a few weeks let's let's start piling up some wins and let's just see how far this team can go let's let's have some fun let's not have injuries or other things cause us to keep abating our interest and mm -hmm. belief in this team let's just Let's build. Let's build. And I, I think this is a week where we really have to hope that that happens. So I think this is a pivotal, pivotal game uh, in the Seahawks season. And I think they're going to win. I'm going to be cheering like crazy for it to happen. I know all of you will be as well. Uh, I will please ask you to give this show a like if you haven't already. Click subscribe. And of course, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger to sign up right now. Get access to the Slack channel and be part of the community. Go ahead and talk Seahawks all time. All the time is the actual way to say that. All the time. So uh, thank you to Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Thank you to Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. And thank you to Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB, who also was here for most of the show. Um, we will talk to you all soon. 
we will try to do a post game show Monday night after the game and uh, looking forward to hopefully a good Monday night. So until then, take care, go Hawks and have a good rest of your week. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention, become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the Tape Morning After articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.